This morning, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, the story of Pentecost in the New Testament. We're going to read the verses 1 through 21 and then pick up our reading at verse 36 and read through 41. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, of the multitude, at the, at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, <clears throat> even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now going over to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, as you can tell by the songs we have sung, today is a special day in the life of the Christian church. It is Pentecost Sunday, that day that we remember uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Uh, Sometimes a Pentecost Sunday is misunderstood. I have heard Pentecost Sunday called the birthday of the Christian church as if the church began at Pentecost. We know that is not the case. The church was already there back in the Old Testament. What does our confession say in Lord's Day 21? What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. From the beginning of the world, the church was already children back in the Garden of Eden. There was the church. There was the man and his wife in fellowship with each other and in fellowship with God. The most rudimentary definition of what the church is. No, the Pentecost event in Acts chapter 2 was not the beginning of the church. We might say it was the church coming into its own. It was the church being manifest now in a fullness that it had not before. This must have been a wonderful and amazing day. As they are here and they hear this sound of the wind, they see the tongues like fire, They speak in all these various languages. And people must have said, well, what is going on? What is happening that all these things are coming about? Questions surrounding the Pentecost event. This morning, we're going to look at three questions connected with Pentecost. And as I was reflecting on this passage uh, this past week, it seems to me These are the same three questions that people still ask today when they encounter the Christian church. The general question, what is going on? And we're going to flesh that out in the three questions that we have in the bulletin this morning. We begin chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place in Jerusalem. Why were they there, children? Why were they in Jerusalem? Because that's where Jesus told them to be. Jesus told them back in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They were there at the command of God. 
Jesus said, wait here, and they waited here. They waited, and only 10 days later, this outpouring of the Spirit would take place. They gathered on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, you recall, was an Old Testament feast day. We talked about that a couple years ago, the Old Testament roots of Pentecost. But they are there at God's command, waiting for the promise that he had given to him. And isn't that fundamentally why we are here today as well? We are here at God's command. Oh, it's a pleasure for us. It's a joy for us. It's a privilege for us. But we are here because God has said, gather today to worship me. We are here at the command of God. Worship directed by obedience. Even rooted in the Old Testament, those pictures and shadows now coming to their fullness, their their maturity in the New Testament church. And we have these great events that take place. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were all sitting. Now, it wasn't a wind. It was a sound like a wind. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. And what's going on? What's going on is they hear this this sound like the wind. There isn't wind, but they hear this sound like a wind, and the sound fills the whole place. What's going on here? What is this sound all about? It was about two years ago in the summertime. uh, Our church worshiped, you remember, out on the back parking lot on Sunday, morning and evening. And as we gathered for worship, we would raise our voices together in song. And I, I, I always thought, what do people think when they hear that sound? When they might be walking past on Riverside and they hear that sound of singing, what's going on? Why are these people singing? Have you ever thought about it? Really, church is the only public place that we have corporate singing. We don't sing at our jobs. Uh, We generally don't sing, you know, at the park. We, We, I guess... We do sing one song when we go to the ball game, seventh inning stretch, and the D-backs are beating the Dodgers. We, we sing at that point. But otherwise, in public, there's no singing that goes on. And people go, what is that? What's going on here? We hear this, this sound and wonder, what is happening? They heard a sound, and then they saw something. Verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They saw something. Now, kids, I know. We don't see fire here this morning. Or do we? That fire, a picture of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that fire a visible evidence that the Spirit is being poured out. Now, to be sure, we don't see fire on each other, but we certainly should see visible evidence that the Spirit has been poured out. Visible evidence in our 
actions, visible evidence in our words, visible evidence in the things that we, the way we relate to each other. Yeah, there aren't tongues of fire, but certainly there still is that, that evidence that the Spirit is at work. What's going on here? And then verse 7, as they see all these things, they're amazed and they're astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And I've, I've kind of changed that question to the first question in our outline. How is this possible? When they asked the question, are not all these speaking Galileans, they were amazed, not just at what was taking place, the speaking in languages, they were amazed at the people who were doing it. This was something of a put-down. How can this be happening? What, how is this possible? Because these people are Galileans. Galileans, kind of a put-down. Remember uh, back in John chapter 1, when uh, Philip encounters Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida and uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How is this possible? Someone from Nazareth, a Galilean, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is this possible that these regular, ordinary, unschooled people are speaking in all of these different languages? To call Jesus a Galilean was a put-down. How is it possible a regular, ordinary carpenter's son could be the one we are looking for, spoken of by the law and the prophets? And as they tried to answer that question, how is this possible? Some said in verse 13, mocking them, they are filled with new wine. They're crazy. It's like they're drunk. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know any better. How is this possible that, that regular, ordinary people could experience this, this change in their lives? Hear these things. See these things. And in many ways, that is the same question that is asked about the church today. You rub shoulders with your coworkers, and maybe, maybe God gives you opportunity to share with them the truth of the gospel, and often the response is, hey, you're no better than me. Who are you to talk to me about this? You're just a regular guy. I work with you. I know you. How is it possible you could know these things? Regular, ordinary people, yet the Spirit poured out. How is this possible? You are crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. But God was pouring out His Spirit on His church, on His people, and it was an amazing thing. What's going on? How is it possible these know? Well, we recognize. If you're here with us this morning, we are not <laughs> the upper crust of society. We are not the best and the brightest. We are regular, ordinary people. Yet those in whom God has been at work. The church upon which he has poured his Holy Spirit. Some said they're crazy. Others listened. 
And, and they asked the second question, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? First question, how is it possible these people are doing it? They're Galileans. Second question, what does it mean, what does it mean that they are doing it? And at that, Peter will get up and speak. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What does this mean? It means the prophecies are true. It means the word of God is true. That which was prophesied by Joel is what you're seeing, they, were, they would say. The prophecies of God are true. The word of God is true. The testimony of Scripture is true testimony. I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Look what's happening. That's happening in our midst, they would say. The word of God is true in the outpouring of the spirit. Uh, some would say, but, but, but wasn't the spirit already present in the Old Testament, we talk about the Old Testament roots of Pentecost. Wasn't the Spirit already there in the Old Testament? He most certainly was. We read about the Spirit already in the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of God. We sang about that in that first song this morning. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. But here he is poured out. If we can follow that analogy of pouring, we might say that in the Old Testament, the Spirit is given out in drops. Uh, on this uh, king, or on this uh, prophet, or on this priest. The Spirit giving out, given out very particularly in the New Testament. Not drops here and there, but a flood, an outpouring on the entire church. All of them sharing in these wonderful blessings. The New Testament poured out on sons, and on daughters, and on young men, and on old men, and on male servants, and on female servants. What does this mean? It means the words of the prophets are true, including the words in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word of the prophet Joel is true. We didn't read uh, the verses in between uh, 21 and 36. But here, Peter gives a sermon from the Old Testament. And that Old Testament sermon leads them to Christ. Leads them to the one who was, who was the one who came to, to give salvation to each and every one of his own. That's why he concludes in verse 36. Now all house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. He preaches this Old Testament sermon, but he brings them to Jesus. What does this mean? It means that all of the Old Testament 
uh, sacrifices, ceremonies, all pointed forward to God fulfilling His Word and sending His Son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It means the Word of God is true. And that same reality is for us today. The Word of God is still true today. If you're coming to our church and asking the question, how do you know that that Jesus is the Son of God? Because the Word of God says it. How do you know He paid for your sins? Because the Word of God says it. That Word of God spoken so many years ago, already through the prophets, being fulfilled. The Word of God is trustworthy and is true. And so when they heard that end of the sermon, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard those words, this Jesus whom you crucified, they were cut to the heart and they asked the third question of Pentecost, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When we recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, that he is the one sent by God to be the savior of his people, And when we recognize that left to ourselves, we are those who crucified him, who did not recognize him, we say, we cry, what should we do? What hope is there for us? And then we hear those wonderful words of Peter. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. If we are cut to the heart by the truth that Jesus is the one chosen by God, sent to save his people, what shall we do? Repent. (laughs) Repentance is more than just being sorry for our sins. Repentance deals with a change. A change in my life. Uh, Turning away from my sin. Turning to God. A change in my sinful ways. A change in the words that I speak when I'm out with the boys, when I'm, when I'm uh, you know, just having lunch at work, whatever it might be. A change in the way I talk. A change in my actions, how I, how I relate to my spouse, how I relate to my children, how I relate to those around me in the church. Repentance is a change. Even, even a change in my thoughts the way I think about who God is and my relationship to Him and the call to Christian living because of who Jesus is. Repent. Repent and be baptized. Baptism, that sign and seal of inclusion within the Christian church. Inclusion within the body of Christ. To make this very contemporary, what does Peter say? Repent from what you're doing and join the church. Become a member. This is where the child of God belongs. In the fellowship of believers. Now I know, I know it is possible. It is possible 
for a believer in extraordinary circumstances to exist apart from the Christian church. If you are stranded on a desert island and you are the only one there, there's no church for you to go to. But in a city as big as ours, with churches everywhere, with a number of reform congregations, there is no excuse for not joining the Christian church, for not heeding the call of Christ to repent and to be baptized, to be in, uh, brought into part of the fellowship. I was uh, visiting with someone one time a number of years ago, uh, having a casual conversation, and he said to me, uh, you know, I'm a member of the invisible church. And I asked him somewhat cynically, and where do they worship on Sunday morning? <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to be a member of the invisible church, but we are called to be members of the visible church to manifest the body of Christ. And that, that's the call that goes out again today, that, that we should repent, put our faith in Jesus Christ, trust in Him, and be brought in. Be brought in to the fellowship of believers. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. That third question of Pentecost, what shall we do, is just as applicable today. Repent and believe and be incorporated into the body of Christ. That's what we celebrate on this Pentecost Sunday, the work of the Holy Spirit to change a heart, to take it from a heart that is cold to the gospel, to a heart which is full of flesh and living and warm to the things of God. We celebrate the application of the finished work of Christ to everyone whom the Lord our God has called. What happened on that Pentecost Sunday, verse 41? So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church grew, and God receives the glory. It began with, with some very obvious questions. How is this possible? Regular, ordinary men telling us these wonderful things. What does it mean that, that these things are happening now? It means the word of God is true. And if that's the case, if the word of God is true, if Jesus is the one who he says he is, the savior of each and every one of his own, what do I have to do? Simply repent and believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Confess who he is and be brought in to the Christian church. The same spirit that was at work on that Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2 is the same spirit who is at work today. And we pray that that spirit would continue to work in the context of the church, in our midst, that we might see many leave darkness and come into the glorious light of the love of God. Let us join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are amazed at your power and your majesty. God the Father, you are creator of all that we see around us. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is the redeemer of each and every one of his own. And you have sent the Holy Spirit to your church 
to change hearts and lives, to be our assurance and to be our comfort in this life and the life to come. Lord God, if there are those here this morning who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that if your spirit is prodding them in the heart, that something has to change, what shall they do? That they would hear this word of God, which is true for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord God, as we have the opportunity to share that truth with those around us, use us to spread this glorious gospel, use us to bring others into this divine fellowship of believers that you might receive all the glory and the honor and the praise. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.